0: From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, slowing myopic progression in children.
1: Among all the different treatments, atropine works best, and I usually would start out with 0.01% first. First this. 2015 marks two
0: significant 10-year anniversaries, as seen from here, shares its 10th birthday with iWorld Asia-Pacific. iWorld AP is the most important source of ophthalmic news for the Asia-Pacific region, with editions in Chinese, Korean, and English, and a circulation of more than 27,000. Stay tuned at the end of this podcast for more information from Kathy Chen and Graham Barrett about the significant milestone. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the APA CRS annual meeting in Kuala Lumpur. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm gonna present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Seo Wei Leo on what does and doesn't work to slow myopic progression in children. I'm here with Xiao Leo. Liu. you you spoke on an, an important topic and it, it, one that has been particularly recognized in Singapore from where you are, which is myopia. And in Singapore, uh, to, to its credit, has, has recognized this as a real public health problem and, and, and has really taken the uh, lead with identifying this as a problem and looking at treatments. now, you, r- Briefly, w- why is it that myopia is an important thing to, to tackle? It's more about just uh, the fact that some patients have to wear thicker glasses.
1: Right, because myopia has uh, sight-threatening complications. Besides the obvious social economic burdens, um, if a person is myopic, they have a higher risk of uh, myopic uh, uh, retina Problems like retinal detachment, retinal holes, myopic macular degeneration, uh, cataract and glaucoma. So all these are sight-threatening. And we know that the higher the myopia, um, the worse these complications are. Also, we find that in this, the trend is for younger and younger people to become more myopic, which means they start off being myopic at a younger age, so they progress and then they land up more, more myopic. And this is a big problem in Singapore because we have our primary school kids with uh, you know, nearly 30% of myopic.
0: Singapore has the highest highest incidence, yep. incidence in the yep. in the world of myopia. Now, before we talk about the risk factors and what can be changed and how myopia can be pharmacologically treated, can I get you to talk about what some of the common myths are and what the things are that are not risk factors for the development of progressive myopia?
1: Okay, not risk factors. So we get out um, those those things that don't work. Um, So some parents would say that, do we purposely undercorrect? It means we don't give the child the full correction. Um, Actually, um, those randomized controlled trials have shown that it doesn't work. So do not... You know, purposely give the child less uh, correction than the child needs, so undercorrection doesn't work. Um, for a long time, it's been proposed that could perhaps you know contact lens, uh, the normal contact lens will work for to reduce progression myopia, and it's been shown in control trials randomized control that it doesn't work. well, just contact lens per se doesn't work. Um, even your bifocal or progressive additional lenses, spectacle lenses, um, it reduces myopia progression by a statistically significant amount, but really not clinically relevant by such a small amount that it's not clinically re- relevant. So these are some of the myths and um, I think some of, um, in some countries, there's, they have some commercially available machines that's been touted to reduce myopia progression. Right. So all those don't work either.
0: Right. Now, now, now that we've uh, taken off the uh, table the uh, things that 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 don't work, let's deal with the correlations with myopia that are sort of beyond the the parents' control. And what I'm thinking about are things like genetics. Yeah, ge- the genetics, the uh, socio-economic status of the of the parents with which there's a correlation with right. with myopia. Parents are, are are not going to go out of their way to get lower. themselves into a well lower socio socioeconomic status. What are some of the other correlates with myopia that, that are sort of non yeah, non modifiable and that are modifiable?
1: Okay, so we know family history is non-modifiable, uh, uh, genetics non-modifiable. In recent years, the evidence is very strong for um, outdoor hours. So outdoor time is protective against myopia. So if you look at all the trials, uh, whether it was the Orinda studies, the Sydney studies, or so the Singapore studies, definitely outdoor play does have a very significant role in protecting against myopia. And there's a generalized sort of um, odds ratio uh if you actually um, go outdoors for um, every week for about three hours a week, that is a 2% reduction in myopia. Um,
0: and it's not that, that, that there was some correlate with outdoor tasks. It was merely being outdoors that uh, had the had the correlation.
1: Yeah, being outdoors. But of course, there there is also a lot of evidence in looking at sunlight, you know, right. uh, like light sort of protecting against um, the progression of myopia. Um, again, um, there has been study in a lot of different trials. Um, uh, the recommendation now is that a child should have at least, should be under about 10,000 lux of light, which is kind of like a sunny day, sort of like when you're in shades, uh, for about three hours a day.
0: Yeah, and then there there are uh, there are weak correlations too with things like uh, a se- season of birth, and... Um, uh, smoking uh not that we encourage parents to uh, smoke and now what what are um there 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 have been studies particularly in Singapore I'm thinking about the Adam one, Adam two studies Thomas. that deal with yeah, with with pharmacology. Drops. Can you yeah, can you talk so about that? I
1: think the strongest evidence for retardation of myopia progression, I means slow down the progression, is actually atropine eye drops. Okay, so actually atropine has been around for a long time. Um, it's it's used for other you know our other ophthalmology problems, yeah. but specific for myopia, it's been used since the 1990s in a lot of different Asian countries. But I think um, the randomized control trials, a lot of them actually came from Singapore. So as you know, we. With ATOM1, we showed that 1% atropine every night reduced the progression of myopia quite significantly by about 75%. And But there were issues with the high concentration because with 1% atropine, you're getting a child with uh, pupil dilation. So with pupil dilation and decreased um, accommodation, they can't read for near. Right. Um, and also with the dilated pupil, we worry about long-term side effects like um, UV light damage to the lens and the retina. So the child... On a high-dose atropine, 1%, would have to wear photochromatic lenses, the sort that turns dark when you go out to the hot sun, and also progressive additional lenses. So that was with 1%. Um, to address the issues of what is the ideal concentration, um, Atom2 was done, where they looked at the lower concentration, 001 um, and, you know, 0.1% and 0.5%. And what was... Um, what was surprising was, to me, what was surprising was that, um, you know, when we're talking about ATOM2, the start of the study, I did, really didn't expect uh, an eyedrop that it's so diluted, like 0.01% to have effect. And surprisingly, it showed that... Yeah, well, yeah, what
0: wasn't in the in the construction of the study, 0.01, was really thought that it was going to be the, the control for this study, and, I, and, and that it showed, it showed uh, a, a significant benefit. Significant. It yeah. showed
1: a significant benefit. So, if you talk about like um, after two years of zero point zero one percent, it does you know reduce the myopic progression by about fifty to sixty percent. And what is remarkable is zero point zero one percent has no virtually no side effects because with the it, it has negligible effect on the pupil size. It had negligible effect on the reduction in um, you know uh, from, from from accommodation, near, yeah, yeah. From accommodation near. So the near is not affected. The pupil size is hardly affected. So the child really doesn't need to wear these progressive additional lenses, and so you don't have to worry. about UV like uh, damage to the lens, of the retina, because the pupils are not dilated, and also even your local side effects like allergic dermatitis and you know allergic conjunctivitis, which you get with a higher concentration, you don't get them with 0.01%. So I would say, in overall, 0.01% has. Um, the least side effects and yet retains you know its efficacy in retarding myopia progression the
0: majority of the of the benefit that the that the child would have gotten even with the with the one correct
1: and um, uh, and subsequently um, we went on to do a washout study which means you stop the after two Mm -hmm. years of atropine you stop the atropine and that was even more amazing it showed that 0.01% had least rebound okay like for the other higher concentration if you stop um, the one year after you stop the atropine The actually increase
0: acceleration in 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 the progression, but But they didn't catch up to the to the non-treated group. Yes, yes. Overall,
1: it's still better than not treated at all. Obviously, but um, 0.01 percent. Even though when you look at the two years when you're on, it's slightly less effective. But because the rebound is less, so overall, if you talk about two years on and one year off, it is still the most effective because there's least rebound. Um, if we go into the technicalities of it, so how has that changed our clinical practice? We also really look at non-responders. Not, I mean, like it works very well, but not everyone responds to, mm-hmm. to atropine. There are some, um, about ten percent of people that don't respond. These are people who still progress by more than um, 0.5 diopters in a year. They don't respond. About ten percent of them, these tend to be younger children um, whose parents are myopic and had higher amount of myopia at the onset of of the treatment. So, you know, when you put into perspective all these different trials, clinically what I do is um, when I have a patient with a um, rapidly progressive myopia, especially coupled with family history of, um, you know, retina issues or complications from myopia, I will tell them, yes, among all the different treatments, atropine works best. And I usually would start off with 0.01% first, which is the lowest dose because, you know, it has least side effects. But I do want um, parents that um, there is about a 10% non-responder rate and we will need to progress and uh, we will need to you know, follow the child up and see how, how they do but I would say most don't do very well with that. Treatment.
0: I, have, I have two questions, two uh, hard questions uh, one of them is how do you decide that a child has met criteria for treatment right. in, the, in the first place how do you pull that Trigger and number two, given the the rebound, when do you decide to stop therapy?
1: Okay, so the first question: When do I start to treat? I actually look at the rate of progression. So if the rate of progression is uh, more than a one more than one hundred degrees in a year, I will start. And especially if coupled with the risk factors, if they have, they tell me they have family history of retinal detachment, high myopia in the family. These are what we call pathological myopia. I usually will tend to start.
0: And what's the age of these these people generally?
1: Gen- about five or six years yeah. ago. I mean, the trials we started from primary school, but because there is really an earlier earlier onset right. now, I usually start them like, um, yeah, like six.
0: And when when do you start therapy?
1: Okay, so I will monitor the child um, with axial length. As you know, the axial length is a very, very important uh, predictor of or your pathology. Yeah, of the complications here. So at the onset of starting, we'll have the axial length, and then we will subsequently monitor the child. Once the axial length seems to um, have stabilized, then we can stop the atropine 0.01%.
0: And what are some of the adverse um, reactions you've observed in in your own patients outside of
1: the study? Oh yeah I mean clinically when, because we use yeah. it now uh, for the if you if the child you know previously because we were using the higher concentration, so if the the child is on a higher concentration, do not stop abruptly, do not just stop. Uh, because the, the rebound can be quite significant. So those on higher concentration, we actually tail them down to a lower right. concentration before you stop. So tailing off. And um,
0: but, in, but in adverse reactions to the drug?
1: Well, really, with the 0.01%, I have yeah, not, not had anything. anything. With the higher concentration, there were a few cases where they had a little bit of allergy reaction, like a allergic uh, dermatitis, allergic conjunctive, But really, just very, very few.
0: So anyway, I have one last question, and it's the hardest one. So... If the zero point zero one is not affecting the accommodation and not affecting the pupil size, Mm -hmm. how is it working? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, there are different theories. So it's either working on some neurochemical sort of pathway, or it works directly on the sclera per se to to kind of um, stop it from from stop the eyeball from elongating and stop the myopia progression. So these are the big hypotheses. Yeah. This
0: is wonderful, wonderful, super duper relevant stuff. I'm so grateful. Uh, that 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 you've that you've come here and that you've that you've that you've spoken about it I'm tremendously uh, grateful for your generosity with your time with us today okay Thanks. sio wei leo is senior consultant ophthalmologist at the mount elizabeth medical center in singapore iworld ap is more than just a regional version of iworld With commentary from ophthalmologists in the Asia-Pacific region and with a circulation of more than 27,000, iWorld AP is the most important source of ophthalmic news for an enormous number of ophthalmologists over the most populous areas of the planet. I spoke with Chief Medical Editor Graham Barrett and Executive Editor Kathy Chen about this landmark 10th anniversary. I want to congratulate you on 10 years of iWorld Asia Pacific. Can I get you just to tell the audience what iWorld AP
2: is and and what its breadth is? So this began as a joint venture 10 years ago uh, with the parent organization and the concept was to have uh, Asia Pacific edition of the magazine. It's not simply a reissue of the uh, parent magazine, which is a monthly, it's a quarterly, but uh, in advance I look at the uh, editorial material that's due to be published for the next few months and extract what I think are the most interesting and relevant to the Asia-Pacific region. We then add uh, Asia-Pacific... Um, comment on those articles as well as um, occasionally original material which arises from the Asia-Pacific edition and there's a two-way cross uh, of information because we do have some of our own uh, original articles that find their way to the parent organization. What's really exciting about um, our world Asia-Pacific is that unlike Uh, in other parts of the world, like the US and Australia, where we have a profusion of publications and your desk is full of various publications. Often this is the major source of uh, information education that gets to people in countries like China and elsewhere. (coughs) It's also unique in that the Asia-Pacific edition has regional sub-editions in China, uh, India and Korea and is translated into Chinese. So almost 10,000 um, Chinese editions are circulated and in total we have about 27,000 uh, editions of I uh, World Age Pacific um, every quarter which I think probably surpasses the number of uh, editions of the uh, parent um, uh, magazine. So uh, it's received a great enthusiasm uh, around the region. Uh, we have you know, lots of positive feedback um, about it and it's been a very very successful uh, joint um, venture.
0: Kathy can you talk about what the circulation is for the different markets how large is iWorld AP within each of these markets?
2: Okay we have in total 27,000 copies as uh, Graham has said and we have four editions so we have Asia-Pacific China, India and Korea and uh, for China we have uh, over 9,000 copies and uh, for India we have 13,000 copies and we also have Korea which is about 3,000 copies so in total we have 27,000 copies In China we translated Uh, translated into Chinese and for Korea is in Korean language, but for India is in English because most of the Indian um, ophthalmologists speak English and read English. One of the things that the Chinese and Korean editions serve as is also as a medium for um, their parent organizations because we work with the Chinese Medical Associations and Korean Societies of carrier and Refractive Surgery they can use the publication to um, send information to their members as well so uh, the different Chinese Korean editions have their own regional editors as well and um, these things are done in association with the official uh, societies sometimes uh, it's a Chinese ophthalmological society. Sometimes it's a Korean society of cataract and refractive surgeons. So it's not your typical commercial publication in a sense, but the distribution, the support is all uh, something that's coordinated with the, uh, the local ophthalmological or cataract and refractive societies in those countries. Graham, Kathy, this is
0: really wonderful. You guys are to be congratulated on on such a a wonderful, wonderful venture, reaching uh, such a a broad swath of ophthalmologists in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, Kathy, wonderful stuff.
2: Thank you. Uh,
0: Graham, really, really super. Thank you, Josh. Ask questions of Dr. Leo or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.